0: Hello, welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, and this time I'm honored to be joined by Laura Beeman, head women's basketball coach at the University of Hawaii. The 2019-20 season will go down as a memorable one in college hoops lore for some unfortunate reasons. Men's and women's teams across the country had their dreams of NCAA tournament glory cut short due to the coronavirus threat and the shutdown of sports spanning the landscape. In the case of the UH women, that was right after they just advanced to the semifinals of the Big West Tournament, so something tantalizing was really within reach. Coach Beeman wouldn't get a chance to take a team back to the NCAA Tournament for the first time since 2016 when she helped the program end an 18-year NCAA Tournament drought. She picked up a Big West Coach of the Year in 2015 and has been inducted into the California Community College and Cal State San Bernardino Halls of Fame. Beeman, with eight years under her belt in Manoa, is Hawaii's second-longest tenured and second-winningest head women's basketball coach, behind only Vince Gu. Today, she talks about her journey here from Southern California and gives an honest appraisal of whether she thought she'd be here this long. That's one of her best qualities. She generally tells it like it is, which you'll hear in the coming hour. One quick aside, the UH men made another pickup in the form of a second transfer from the University of San Diego, James Jean-Marie, a 6'8 post player who has one year of eligibility left. That brings the Rainbow Warriors recruiting class to a whopping seven players. But now, here's Coach Laura Beeman, who will talk about what's in store for her team coming up. I'm joined by Laura Beeman the head coach of the Hawaii women's basketball team for a good eight years now coach you've been there leading in, in Manoa the program it's been a strange time for everyone I know and I'm sure it's no different for you so what's it like for a coach in the women's game at this moment in time with everything going on
1: you know things are really first off thank you for having me I appreciate it uh having me on today um You know, things have been really unpredictable. I think if you asked a lot of the women's coaches, um, they would just be going, you know, kids are making some crazy decisions and, you know, uh, coaches are kind of sitting back going, how do you recruit? You know, how do you keep kids in your roster? Um, You know, what's going to happen to the the stability of your program? Where are finances going? Um, You know, are we following state guidelines, federal guidelines, school guidelines? You know, I think it's just one of those times where you sit back, you take a deep breath, you know, you're going to get through it um you definitely have to have your mo your moments of 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 um, kind of retrospect introspect all of the different things right to just kind of try to figure out how to navigate this um it, it's been good for our program i think as far as the kids that have stayed and in, in just talking to them getting to know them connecting with them uh, figuring out different ways to recruit through zoom and all of these video conferencing type things um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting, interesting time at this point.
0: You mentioned Zoom and obviously we're on a Zoom call right now. Uh, how much a veteran of the Zoom process <laughs> are you at this point?
1: You know, I didn't have a clue when this whole thing came out, you know, how to do the, the video conferencing. I didn't even FaceTime. I didn't Instagram. I'm just kind of a, a techie nerd. I just didn't didn't get it. Um and I figured it out real quick that this was gonna become my life. Um and the biggest the biggest part of it for me was my, my current roster, is getting on Zoom with those guys, seeing their faces, making sure they were okay. So yes, I have learned how to use whether it's WebEx, Zoom, FaceTime, Instagram, WhatsApp, you name it, I I've got it down now.
0: Very good. I'm I'm sure that's uh come in handy in your profession. <laughs> uh it must be at least the baseline right now with uh, you know, the the competitive aspect of recruiting. In your industry, I'm sure it's it's, you've got to at least stay on a certain level of ability, no matter where it takes you. And I guess it's taken everyone in a a different direction right now, huh?
1: It has, particularly with, like I said, staying in contact with our current roster and then getting on uh, Zooms for uh, virtual home visits with recruits, you know, sitting down you know, on, you're on the computer screen and you're meeting people for the first time, you're in their house, they're in your house, you know, your dog or your cat may go running through your Zoom right in the middle of, you know, your virtual home visit, but I guess it shows them what kind of person you are. Um, and so, yeah, it's really become kind of, I think, the wave of the future. I think for us here in Hawaii, we'll still do in-home visits when it's convenient, but now we know we can put together a great presentation and go into someone's house and give them a really great, you know... Uh, impression of of just the state, the school, us as a staff. Um, I think it's something that will be utilized more now than ever before.
0: How responsive was the NC two A to the rapidly evolving, I guess, needs you guys had, and and sport to sport, and, and just I guess you can only speak from your experience, but as far as allowing these kind of you know virtual calls and and maybe things that weren't even possibly considered before.
1: Uh, you know, I think the NC two A for us is ever moving and fluid as this whole covid-19 situation is i think that they've tried to get information out as quickly as possible Um, i know our compliance at uh has done a phenomenal job of keeping us engaged saying hey hold up or yep move forward or whatever we need to do um they've done a really good job of disseminating information and make sure we're all on the same page and so i i think overall the nc2a in and the areas that we've needed they've done a good job and pretty quickly
0: all right well, you guys were one of the sports that were really directly affected by that sudden shutdown, maybe more dramatically than than almost any other sport out there, yourselves and, and men's basketball. In your case, you got a game under your belt in the Big West tournament. Um, not all the Big West teams got to do that for one – maybe they were ahead of the, in the seedings or behind in the seedings. You guys got exactly one game, beat Cal State Fullerton. The next morning, I believe, is when you found out mm-hmm. that um, – that shutdown came in a hurry. I think the big West was maybe one of the more proactive leagues in doing that. Um, So the whole country hadn't shut down yet, but they decided first they had said, I think, Hey, we're doing this with no fans. And that's how you guys played that Fullerton game, which was pretty eerie. And (laughs) uh, maybe you could expound on that. And and then, yeah, I mean, you've gone over it before, but now in retrospect, a couple of months later, what was that just 48 hours like for you?
1: Oh wow! um, it seems like an eternity, right? Um, you know before the game, it was really weird, you know, we knew we were gonna play without fans, and the arena watching the games prior to um watching the games prior to our game was a little crazy because um there were no fans, and we knew it was gonna be a little eerie, and then you know, when we began to um Warm up is when the NBA actually canceled uh, their season and or suspended it, and so I remember talking with uh, Tanisha, our director of operations, just saying, "T, we're going to be lucky <laughs> if our game gets played if they've canceled or suspended the NBA. It's coming down the pipe." So we played the game. Obviously, during the game, didn't think about that at all. Just really wanted to get a vibe on where the girls were. Were we ready to play? Were we Were we peaking at the right time? Um, And we felt like after the game, we really hit our stride and were really peaking and and playing very good basketball. Went to bed that night knowing that the possibility was there. Um, But at that point, I was, as a coaching staff, we were so focused on our next opponent. It was like, okay, we've got Santa Barbara. We know we can beat these guys. You know, they got us by one at our place. Our girls are are hitting their stride and we just kind of really kind of knuckled down, if you will. And Started our game plan, woke up the next morning and started to see some things on social media that really concerned me and then reached out to administration and said, you know, what are we doing? And um, our kids were in a study hall. You know, our our plan that morning was they were going to wake up, have breakfast, do a two-hour study hall. We were going to do a film session, get taped up, go practice, and then, you know, put our game plan in for Santa Barbara. And it was during breakfast where I sat and talked with Lois Mannon and I said, you know, I want the kids to hear from me before they see it on social media. Um, and they had already heard whispers on social media, then getting the – knowing that it was going to come down from the Big West, and so walking into the study hall and having to tell the team, you know, this is this is it, guys. You know, we've been suspended. We're, we're not going to play any more games. And I've been in some tough locker rooms in my career, Brian. I mean, from being in state championship games, losing, um, seeing kids go down with injury, um, being in our Big West Conference tournament twice in the championship, losing. You know, that study hall, I'm going to call it that because it wasn't a locker room, but that banquet room at the hotel was one of the most difficult rooms I've ever been in as a coach. The air went out of the room. The The kids were just, they couldn't console them, particularly our seniors. Um, and it was tough. So having to tell them that we were done, um, yeah, um, hard And then it was, okay, let's get these kids home before they get stuck in California because then things were moving so quickly. We didn't know what if Hawaii was going to not allow flights or what was going to happen. So then it just became really a, um, okay, we got to get these kids home, make sure they're safe and no idea what the future was going to hold. And so that's what Tanisha, Lois, and I started to do was get these kids on flights. Let's get buses going to the airport. Let's make sure kids are safe, make sure parents know what's going on. and then after that was all done, I remember going back to my hotel room and going, okay, I have a flight tomorrow. And just remembering not being able to just control, you know, my emotions of this being so sad. And that was the way it was going to end. And then flying home on Friday the 13th, March, <laughs> I thought this is, this is um, appropriate, right? And just walking in the front door of the house and not being able to to stop the tears of just paying for my kids, paying for me. and. And then just really being concerned about what was gonna to happen in to the state of Hawaii and athletics in general.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like you're able to put up a you know, a pretty brave front for the for your players, at least in that team meeting and I guess that, that next day, like you said, is kinda of when it really I guess you either allowed yourself or or that's really when it, it kind of fully took you, I guess the enormity of the gravity of that situation. Yeah, and
1: I don't know how I don't know how brave I was with the team. I I remember you know telling them guys this is it and and talking about we're going to be safe, we're okay, we love each other, and, and we got to play a game. And then looking at Jay and Sav and Courtney and and May Calhoun because she was so close with Jay, and getting a lump in my throat and just saying you know, guys I got to take a deep breath here. And I've cried in front of the team many times, so it's not like I try to put on my you know superhero cape. I don't have one. Um, <laughs> I've cried in front of the guys, the, the gals many times and. Um, at that point, it was more just trying to to keep it down enough that I could finish what I needed to tell them about. Okay, now we got to move into business mode a little bit and get you guys safe. Um, but no, there there wasn't a lot of bravery.
0: <laughs> All right, uh,
1: I lo- I love the kids too much to be that brave.
0: <laughs> well, it was you kind of touched on this. It probably it had to have been a much different vibe than the the march before when you guys made your run. You get to the Big West Tournament Championship game. Uh, you made a pretty impressive run late in the Big West season to get the number two seed and put yourselves in position to have an easier road and to have the the kind of game against Davis, the the favorite, odds-on favorite, and you guys pushed them to the limit basically, couldn't quite hold on. It's got to be – obviously that was tough, but I'm guessing it did not really feel like a similar ending to a season just because of everything that transpired.
1: Yeah, you know, when you lose a game or you win a game, you have closure. And the way it happened for us, we had no closure. Um, We were just told, okay, you're done. And so you go into a game knowing there's going to be one of two outcomes. Basketball, you don't tie. You know, you don't go into PKs. It's, It's either win or lose. And you know at that point in the season, you either win in advance or you lose and you go home. And you get closure one way or another. And so to have it in the way it did, not knowing what could have happened, That's what was the most difficult for the girls is let us lose together. Let us win together, but don't just take it away and not give us the opportunity to figure that out. So that was the hard part. And, and I think because we played so well against Cal Poly slow senior night before we took off and then played so well against Fullerton, the girls executed the game plan brilliantly. It's as locked in as I've seen the team be since we had our six game win streak early on. Um, as a coaching staff, we felt like, okay, we've hit our stride again. Um, and and I know every team in that that was left in the tournament was saying the same thing. Oh, we were going to win it. Um, we were going to win it. And, and there's just all these to it.
0: Well, you had the offseason now with looking like a a, a very – it's going to be a vastly different-looking team, I think, going into next year. You had the three graduations of the, the seniors you mentioned with Julissa Tongo, had a great senior year. Courtney Midapp, I think, was slowed to, a touch by injuries but but still was able to contribute, and she went out as a four-year player. And then Savannah Ryer was your energy player, did a little bit of hustle and everything off the bench or sometimes starting. Uh, so three valued players for you graduated. And then you had uh, a few more, uh, Lauren Rewers, so, you know, had been starting a lot of time for you, I think ended up transferring to Michigan State, um, mm-hmm. which which I did a double take. I mean, that's that's great for her to go to a place like that. What, out of curiosity, what was your reaction to that one?
1: where she ended up transferring to or just transferring to the entire situation.
0: Yeah. I guess, um, how much, of, I guess all the gap was there between, okay, I'm transferring and then yeah. and then Michigan state being the,
1: Oh, well, I think that this is caused, like I said, early on in the, the interview, the podcast, I think a lot of people are making decisions that they're going to look back on and, and wonder why did I make that decision? Not that it's going to be regret, but why did I make that decision? um, I think the for both Mira and Lauren to to transfer. My first was shock, and then I don't know where Mira's ending up. I've heard some whispers, um, but where Lauren went, dis- disbelief. And I'll leave it at that.
0: All right, and yeah, like you said, uh, Mira Joseph, another you know rotation post player for you. What mm-hmm. just finished her sophomore year? Um, she had a, looked like a, quite a bit of upside. And and then uh, Michaela Edwards and Lamaria Johnson, two players who didn't see as much time this last year, I think, also transferred out. So um, now on the other 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 side of that, you've got a seven-player signing class coming in, which has to be I think one of the largest that you've had. Mm-hmm. Um, five, I believe, you signed in the fall, um, and coming in all as as you can correct me if I'm wrong, true freshmen out of that group, yes. um, and then uh, a couple other post players, I think, more of the junior college route uh, that, yes. that you were able to bring in this, this spring. So, yeah, I, how do you feel about not only what you've lost but then what you're, you're bringing in at the same time?
1: You know, the loss is mixed emotions for me. Um, I, I don't understand some of the decisions that young people across the board make nowadays. Um, the grass is green where you water it. And, and this whole grass is greener, I'm not getting what I want, All of these things that we hear, I'm always a little bit shocked by that. Um, And I guess I'll say it this way. In order to leave Hawaii and go to a Power Five, obviously you've been coached. Obviously you've learned something when, you know, Hawaii might have been your only offer. And now you're transferring out of Hawaii to something that is of that caliber. Um, Sometimes kids transfer out because they need to be closer to home. Uh, I've said it all along. Hawaii, it can be hard for student athletes. It can be hard for just the regular student. You're far away from home. There's not always great internet. You don't always have air conditioning. You don't have a car. It's expensive. There are a lot of things to dwell on that are negative, that people that have lived here their whole life or people that have been here for a long time kind of forget about. And now you have a, an age group and a, almost an entitlement and kids coming in where when it gets hard, some kids you know, buckle down and they stay and some kids don't. Um, but for kids to say, oh, I wasn't getting what I needed and yet you're transferring to a school that's the caliber of a Michigan state or who knows where else, um, I struggled to, to buy that you weren't getting what you need. As far as the kids that we have coming in, we've really gone after a little bit different group of kids. We want kids that are full of grit and hard-nosed and You know they're not looking for bells and whistles. We want kids that you know want to play for Hawaii. We want kids that um, absolutely know what they're getting when they come here. We're we're not a mainland school. They can't get in a car and rip and race and go to mommy and daddy and have them do laundry um, unless they're local kids. And even our local kid Kelsey and I can't do that. She'd have to get on a plane (laughs) to to do that. Um, So we've gone after a little bit different kid where it's like, look, this is this is what you're getting in Hawaii, and there's a lot of great things. Um, bottom line, you're going to have to come here and you're going to have to work and you're going to have to work hard. So our incoming freshmen, they're excited. They get it. Um, not a lot of them had a ton of offers other than us. And it's our job to develop them. And obviously we can do that. The uh, two JUCO kids are also international, Poland and Belarus. Um, you know, One's a post player, one's a six-foot guard. They have national experience. Hawaii was incredibly appealing to them because it's very different from the mainland. Um, It's more like what they're used to with international basketball and international flair. And so I think that looking at where we're going to be moving is international, something that we really have to start considering. It's done very well for Charlie Wade um, and and what he's been able to do in swimming, diving, water polo, tennis. And so I think we need to look at a little bit of that um, because I think Hawaii bodes very well for international players. Obviously local kids got to keep them home. Seven is is a large class, like you mentioned. Um, I come from Juco. Uh, when I was at Juco, it was seven or eight in seven or eight out and you get them ready in two years and you win a lot. And so, um, a lot of people ask me, are you concerned about that? And I'm like, ah, no, we did okay at the Juco level. I'm okay with that. And yes, it's a little different, but player development and connection with players, it, it doesn't matter if it's four years or two years. So we have seven coming in. We may expand that even more with, with the loss of Mira and Lauren, just because we're going to have scholarships, but it has to be the right fit. Um transferring used to really bother me I used to take it personal why are these kids leaving and you know particularly when it wasn't you know coach Beeman we, we don't like you we just we need something different we need something better um, that even bothered me more I think they thought it would make me feel good that it wasn't because of me or the staff uh, it doesn't make you feel better now transferring doesn't bother me anymore because I can't control when kids want the bright shiny object or they want to water the grass somewhere else I've said from day one if people want to be here I want them here if they don't want to be here It makes me sad um, because there's something great that people can get out of the University of Hawaii and give back to the state. Um, But I'm not going to beg people to want to play someplace that's as special as Hawaii.
0: Quick aside to what you were just saying, there there was talk and consideration, I believe, that um, the NCAA would consider the instant transfer for Mm -hmm. basketball, both men and women's basketball. Are you relieved i guess that that was at least put off for now or are you thinking maybe it could be a good idea later how drastically do you think it, it would affect things had that gone through
1: i think it just allows uh kids to get to the new shiny object faster and you know the the debate is well coaches leave so why shouldn't kids leave it's a big, it's a big difference you know when there's a coach you're leaving for another job there's a lot of thought that goes into it um You know, a lot of times it can be for money, job security. Um, You're not leaving to run to something else. You're leaving maybe because there's a better opportunity. Kids are are running from things, in my opinion. You've got kids in the transfer portal that have left three, four, five times. They're asking for waivers, and it's because this, that, and the other. And um, so I don't don't buy into the debate that it's different for a coach to leave a university than kids to leave. Um, I think it's incredibly different. But... If you do the one-time transfer, we've got over, I think, six, 700 kids in the portal right now. I think the men have over a 1,000. You wait and see what happens. You wait and see what happens when you can transfer and play immediately. Um, you wait and see what happens. All these kids, emergency panic committing because of the pandemic, which is what's going on right now. Kids leaving schools because they've been home. They don't want to go back to school. Kids committing out of panic because, oh, my gosh, there's not going to be a July evaluation, therefore I have to commit right now you have a one-time transfer rule that allows them to play immediately and the portal, women's basketball is going to be right where the men is. And it's going to be worse next year than anyone could imagine.
0: Do you think that how imminent or I guess down the road might that be put in and do coaches like yourself have any say in the matter? No,
1: we don't have a say. I mean, we never have a say. It always comes down to the money schools, your power five schools. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen this year because of the pandemic, but it's going to be looked at. I think in January or going into twenty twenty one, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time, um, you know. And I don't know if a lot of people think about this, but Power Fives will just come shop mid majors. That's what's going to happen. You're going to have your Player of the Years, your MVP, your teams. They're going to get shopped, and they always say, "Oh, if there's any, you know, finagling or we see tampering, then there's going to be a penalty." I, I've seen how that penalty works. It works for some, and some people just get a hey, don't do that again. Um, but but there's no huge penalty that really makes schools say, well, we can't tamper. And also, if you have another, if you have a player that reaches out to a player that reaches out to a player, then they can tamper. And so um, I, I look at it where mid-major programs that do a good job with player development are going to become markets for power fives, and you're going to see kids leave. Um, mid-majors at a, at a higher rate than ever before. And then you're going to have the power Power five dances where, well, if I go to this power five, they promised me I'll start, or I can contend for a championship, and here I couldn't, and now I don't have to sit. I think it's just going to become ridiculous. I really do. And I don't know what kind of responsibility we're teaching kids when we don't make people hold commitments.
0: On the other side of that, is there a chance for you know mid-major programs like yourself to maybe snatch up like a, a player – who is dissatisfied at a power five who maybe wasn't getting the the minutes or time that maybe could, could thrive at, you know, quote unquote, moving down, if you will, a a little bit to a mid major. Is there, is there at least that chance that it could work both ways?
1: Absolutely. Um, Recruiting is going to change. You're going to start recruiting the the portal. (laughs) You know, you're going to start looking at rosters on kids that aren't getting playing time, that there may be a connection that you recruited prior to them, you know, committing to that school and you've stayed in touch with them, it just changes how you recruit. You know, it's not like we recruit kids now. It's not like, okay, you don't want to come here, see you later. It's like, hey, we get your decision. No problem. We're going to stay in touch with you. And you stay in touch with them in a positive way. Um, You don't do anything illegal. I'm not talking about that kind of stay in touch, but you, you end your recruiting process on a very positive note so that when that young lady decides she isn't happy where she is, Um, she reaches back out and you ended it positively. So people are going to have to start recruiting the portal. They're going to start looking at other people's rosters, playing time, minutes, points, who's recruited what, signing classes. So it just changes everything.
0: All right. Well, I'll leave those potentially disturbing thoughts for you for another time (laughs) if and when that happens. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, But in the meantime, Coach, I mean, you just completed your eighth year at at Hawaii. You you came in um, first out of the the junior college ranks at Mount San Antonio college. You spent some time as an assistant coach at USC, as well as assisting with the LA Sparks and the WNBA uh, prior to your, your time coming to UH, So eight years now, you know, in one place out here, you're, you're a California girl. You grew up in SoCal, San Bernardino. Um, What's the last just eight years, you know, when you took the job here, did you think you'd spend this length of time and what's, uh, have you learned out Here in the islands over that span. Uh,
1: No, I didn't think I'd be here for eight years. I I figured I would come here and be able to win and and, and get some opportunities and leave. Um, I think that's what every young coach wants to do, and you 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 have that aspiration. Um, After I was here for a year or two, um, I think Hawaii just kind of the the Hawaii bug bit me, if you will. Um, And this is a really special place. It's a great place to have a family. It's a great place for work life balance. Um, You know, there there are a lot of things that you can offer the community. And there's a lot of things that the, the community can, can offer you. Um, and so I really, it was just a moment for me to take a deep breath, I think, when I got here and realized, yep, we can win. It's going to be hard. There are a lot of challenges with recruiting, with retaining kids, with the cost of living, the, the condition of the university at times. Uh, David Matlin had a huge part of why I want um, you know, to stay. To know your boss and how they're going to treat you and how they value you. That's huge because you don't get loyalty at the Division One level very many places, and that's something that David has has shown me is he's very very loyal. Um,
0: he's your third athletic director, right? By the way, from when yeah. you came in,
1: yeah. Third athletic director, third president, third or fourth chancellor for a while. I thought it was me um, that was you know scaring everybody away. So <laughs> to have consistency is huge, and you know for me there was I had a couple opportunities after my I think third and fourth year here. Um, and I really had to evaluate what was important in my life. Was it going to some place that the new shiny and money, or was it really putting my roots down here and trying to do something, you know, bigger than just women's basketball, being a part of something bigger than just Laura Beeman uh, and my career here. And I've been able to do that. And, you know, to be a part of the community, the way we are is, is really special. Um, you know, I, I want to coach for a, a while longer for sure. Um, when I'm done coaching though, I, I also want to give back to this amazing place. So um, yeah, I think that, that there's a part of, there's a time in your life that you can compare significance and success and you can combine them. And I think that's where Hawaii pushed me to pretty quickly is how do I want to be significant in these kids' life and how, how can I still have success with that? And so, um, Hawaii allows me that opportunity to do those things. Um, you know, I miss my folks. Sure. They're in California still, they're getting older. The pandemic has really you know, made it difficult to even imagine when I'm going to see them again. And so those things tug on my heartstrings a little bit to see family across the country. Um, but I also know that I have a really good family here. And so it's, it's just taking that deep breath and not making any rash decisions. And just knowing that, like I said, your grass is going to grow where you water it. And I've chosen to water it here.
0: And I want to say to what you were saying about you know maybe your outlook being a little different when you first arrived. Maybe around that 2015-16 period, there was a, a point where I think you were a finalist or at least in the running for the Utah position. Um, that obviously did did not uh, go that way. But how are you? Is there a sense of how things? What could have been different? Or. Or um, are you, I guess, gl- gratified or, or or glad about the way things turned out? Or uh, how do you see that in retrospect now?
1: I'm fine with it. Um, you know, I don't know how that job was going to turn out. Um, but I know when I had the opportunity to fly out there and, and do an on-campus interview and an on-campus tour, um, I declined. Um, and, and it it wasn't because I didn't think I was going to get the job. It was because I hadn't finished what I started here. So sure there's that little voice in the back of my head that says, wow, what I've gotten that job. Well, maybe, I mean, they were going to fly me out and interviews went really well up to that point. Um, I just wasn't done here and it didn't feel right. And I also am a winner at heart and, and not that you can't win in Utah. Um, I think you, you might be able to, but they are where they are in the PAC 12 for a reason. And when you're competing against the UCLA's, the Oregon's, the Oregon States, the Stanford's, that's tough. It's really, really tough. And so I would rather cut my teeth here in a beautiful place and try to make us a championship caliber program than go someplace where coaches in the past haven't been able to get it done. Do I think I would have been able to? Yeah. But why not stay here and do it where it's a lot prettier?
0: <laughs> All right.
1: Yeah. And I'm not landlocked. I I don't do well without water, man.
0: <laughs> well, you guys, I mean, we're in contention, fair to say, I think the last couple of years. And the, the last year you've had a staff that um, now, I think you guys have been together at least a little while. Uh, mm-hmm. Alex Delanian, he, he came back into your fold. You've got Kalila Mitchell, Paris Johnson. And then uh, as you mentioned, Tanisha Ruff, your director of operations has been with you for a while. How important is it, I guess, to have, you know that consistent staff from from one season through the off season to the next for recruiting for you know staff chemistry and, and consistency and all those things.
1: I think it's as important as getting talent on your roster. Um, when we went to the NC two A's, it was with a staff that had been with each other for four years. It was Alex, Takeda, Mary, myself. I think yeah, Tanisha, Aaron, the athletic trainer. Um, we had a graduate assistant that had been there as an undergrad and a graduate. I mean. it it was a very consistent staff. We knew each other well. We knew what we wanted to do. We had players that had been with us for four years, um, starting with that Destiny King group, right? That was my first recruiting class that came in. Um, it, it pays huge dividends. And when you look at teams that are successful across the country, you know, your Yukons, your Stanford's, your Baylor's, um, those coaching staffs have been together for a while. And that's another challenge that I have here in Hawaii is cost of living is incredibly expensive. Um, if you compares to coaches in the Big West as far as pay. Um, I, I think the numbers look good, but when you add cost of living, it's very, very difficult to maintain coaches here. And I'm not crying because they make a good living. I'm not trying to sound like boo-hoo, but there's a reality to it. Um, when I've lost coaches over my eight years, it's been for them to either go to a better job as far as advancing their career, which I completely support and I want to help them in that, that goal, um, I've also lost coaches just because they can't afford it here and they need to get back to the mainland. They want to buy a house. you know. They 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 want to do things that are, are really difficult here. So um, with Alex coming back, that was nice. Um, I think he recognized for his career that knowing your boss is uh, much better than opportunities that may come because you go back to the mainland and the money that may come to you at the mainland. And what I allow Alex to do as an assistant coach um doesn't always happen on coaching staffs. He has a lot of autonomy, and he's very good at what he does. Um, and I think he recognized that he'd rather have a voice than a bigger apartment. <laughs> so having him come back was nice, and uh, having Kalila come in with her ability to do player development, uh, I, she's very happy in Hawaii. She loves it here. And I think I'll be able to keep her for, for a while now, and then Paris Johnson comes home, and her mom, stepdad, you know, siblings are here. And I think that, that she understands that she could have a place here. She's an incredibly talented young coach, and I'm looking forward to seeing what she's going to do. So, um, you know, Tanisha, I've kept for a while. I hope I can keep her longer, and Aaron Tillman is a trainer because all of that consistency matters with a group of young women um, and where your program goes.
0: I'll be honest with you, Coach, that one year that Alex won away, I remember when you guys were playing Santa <laughs> Barbara, I asked you about, you know, seeing him again, and he sounded dead to you. So I was a little surprised yeah. when uh, when you guys were able to – I guess, bring him back. And it was like, Oh, well, good to see you. I I never thought that would have happened based on the last time I talked to coach Beeman.
1: Yeah. You know, sometimes I need the time to process. I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't, I don't hold grudges. It doesn't mean I don't forget, but I don't hold grudges. Um, and at that point in time, the, the the wound was pretty deep for the reasons. And, um, I just needed time to process. And and when Alex left, I told him, you know, don't, don't call me for a while. You know, I, I still love you, but I don't like you very much. And, uh, I'm sure there'll be a day where we talk and we're good, but it's not right now. And uh, peace, <laughs> you know. And, and we'll see you a couple times during the year, but at this point, yeah, you're you're on your own, dude. And uh, <laughs> then there was a time where it was like, okay, take a deep breath. He he did what he needed to do for the reasons he needed to do it, and that was partially he reached out to me and and told me why, um, and I understood it. And and there's also you know for for my growth and maturity, I needed to say, okay. Again, I don't hold grudges, I don't have time for that in my heart, but it was let's forget and then we just started talking a little bit and then I recognized that he really wanted to come back and um I told him if he was the best candidate for the job, I'd rehire him. And obviously he was. So uh, it worked out. He's a he's a good guy.
0: All right. Well, let me take you back a little bit. We've we've touched on your San Bernardino roots. You know, you, you played you grew up there, you played high school ball there, right? And mm-hmm. went on to Cal State San Bernardino. So you were mm-hmm in one place, generally speaking for your formative years, I guess you could say. And, uh, what was that like? I mean, were you a point guard the whole way through? Did you have any inkling that you'd end up kind of getting into and doing what you're doing now? Uh, was there a hybrid period? Maybe it's Cal state San Bernardino where you're, were you sort of like a player coach on the floor? Like (laughs) what was that whole transition into this like?
1: You know, um, First thing is, is I really wanted to go away to school and I had a scholarship offer from like my Montana, Wyoming, Weaver State, a couple other up in the, I think it was the what big sky. Um, and I blew my knee out my junior year of high school and had to get it reconstructed. Didn't want to go that far away from home to sit on a bench and have surgery. So that is what kept me actually local is blowing my knee out, having to have surgery, recovering, and then saying, you know what? I, I don't want to go away now. Um, and so stayed local, played. I loved basketball for the first couple of years. And then I just had a coach that I just didn't jive with. Um, he was not a real nice guy and, uh, basketball didn't mean enough to me at that point in time, um, to be the type of player that I would want to coach. And so maybe my karma is getting me a little bit. That's also why I'm not that type of coach. And so it challenged me a little bit. I didn't want to quit on my teammates. Um, so I I worked it through. Then I re-injured my knee, and I was like, okay, I'm done. This is this isn't what I want to do. If I'm going to re-injure my knee, I'm not going to do this again. Um, great teammates, loved the experience. You know, we were 24 and four the last year I played. Went to the regionals for the first time. Yeah, I definitely was a point guard throughout my career, captain throughout my career. Um, wish I would have had a different experience with a coach that wanted young women to be their best and not just transactional relationship. And that's what he was, was a transactional relationship kind of guy. It's what can I do for you? And if you don't do it my way, then I'll take your scholarship away. And just some of the things that you just don't do to kids. Um, and that probably taught me what kind of coach I wanted to be in retrospect. But I had no idea why I wanted to go into coaching. I, I majored in business, um, thought I would go on and be a lawyer or some type of advocate for children maybe get into sports agent type stuff but really had no clue didn't like school at all um <laughs> hey, yeah thank god for sports right and i received a phone call one day from the university of redlands and it was a woman by the name of melanie horn she had played at ucla um knew who i was just from being local and said hey we have a graduate assistant position open you want to get your masters and i was like heck no and my mom and dad were like heck yeah and so it was one of those things where, because I didn't know what I want to do with my life, didn't have a job, why not go back to school so I could, at least I could be supported by my folks a little bit longer, um, get my master's, make myself more marketable. Ended up going to school, getting a master's in educational counseling, which I used more than anything, my counseling degree. And I think it was at that point I recognized what coaching was, was really supposed to be about. It was about the relationship you got with players. It was about really using a sport to motivate young women to get someplace in life where they could be self-sufficient, empowered, confident, and the power of sport. Um, and that's really what it was for me. I was there for two years and then the Mount SAC position opened up. I had no business applying for it, but I did. Um, and was hired as the assistant coach That was challenging. Um, The the head coach only lasted a year. They recognized she was not probably a good fit for that population. And just with her knowledge base, I actually coached softball for a year to prove that I could coach. Yeah, that I proved that I could run a program. I wasn't a very good softball coach, but I needed to prove I could run a program and do it the right way. And so I was an assistant coach one year, head softball coach the same year, getting my master's in physical education because I had to have a master's in order to get hired full time. So coming from a person who hates school, I went back to school again. And after that year of showing that I could run a program, uh, we won. We did okay. Not great. Like I said, I wasn't very good. I brought in assistant coaches that knew way more than I did. Um, I had played softball as a kid, and I'd played one year of of softball in college, my senior year. I thought, why not? I'm I'm done with basketball. I can play softball with any injury. So uh, they recruited me, and I played softball my senior year. Um, So I knew a little bit about it. Proved that I could run a program, they hired me as the um, as a as a part time head women's basketball coach. The next year at Mount SAC, I finished getting my master's. I think a year and a half later, and then they hired me full time. And then that's kind of what started my tenure at Mount SAC, which encompassed I think fourteen years.
0: Yeah. um, What what happens when you're a part time head coach? That seems like a uh, oxymoron. There.
1: It's hard. Uh, You're not. You know, and particularly when you're doing your master's. So. I was trying to do a little job in the morning. I actually did landscaping um, so I could put some some money in the pocket. Um, then I would go into Mount Sac and uh, get with the girls. We would do practice as early in the morning as we could. Um, I was there tending to the basketball needs and then I would go do my masters two or three nights a week at Azusa Pacific. Um, it was tough. It was really tough. Sometimes I wonder kind of how I did it. but you do what you want to do, right? If you really are striving to be hired at the JUCO level and you want to win, um, I, I, I was willing to do what I needed to do. So I did that. And then when I was hired and I didn't have to do school anymore, full time was, was nice. You know, you have summers off if you want them and, and um, there are not a lot of NCAA rules that you got to worry about. Um, but it was a really great opportunity for me to spend a lot of time with at-risk kids who a lot of them were first first to go to school Um, had some pretty colorful pasts, did some crazy things when I was coaching them. Bottom line, they knew they had a coach that loved them. They loved me, and they played super hard for me. And I think that's why we did so well is when kids know that they've got someone in their corner that truly loves them and is going to forgive them for mistakes and work with them. And um, those kids loved the heck out of me. Um, We we won a lot, and it wasn't necessarily because we were the most talented team on the court. It was because those kids played really hard. And they use that to get to the next level. And that was the goal for me, is to get those kids, whether they were going to play basketball or not, get them their degree, get them to the next level so they could be empowered, strong women and, and make a new life for themselves.
0: Well, I, as you said, you guys did a lot of winning there. I think uh, 780 win percentage and uh, four California Community College State Championships over that 14, 15-year time mm-hmm. frame. Um, I think you, your coaching style lends itself to being upfront. Uh, tough love sometimes, telling it like it is. Uh, that's been apparent pretty much your whole time here. Was that even going into that period of time as a softball coach, as a part-time head coach, was that already part of your coaching DNA or was that something that was cultivated along the way during that those 15 years?
1: You know, I think I had a lot of great people in my life that, um, you know, I was working with a, a large population of uh, African-American kids and um Kids that were high risk, uh, low socio economic, and I had a lot of people that I needed to get in my corner right away because I didn't I didn't know how to deal with cultural changes all the time. You know, growing up, I was around a lot of different diverse populations and a lot of different you know colors, um, and I loved that and didn't think about it. Um, my best friend was you know the granddaughter of an uh, African American Episcopalian pastor, so I'd go to church with them and and. I love that and never thought about, Oh, I'm the only white kid here in in the congregation. It just didn't, it didn't register with me. So I think that that was such a pivotal part of my life when I started coaching kids, but I also knew that I, I needed help. And so I had an athletic trainer at Mount Sac, uh, Sandra Taylor, who would look at me and say, why are you letting those kids do that? Just because they're black Laura doesn't, you know, you wouldn't let a white kid do that. I'm like, wow, you're right. And I'm like, how do I handle that? She goes, tell them not to do it. So I had some really great people in my life that just, uh, taught me some really valuable lessons about you communicate honestly up front and just because a kid's poor it doesn't mean you treat them different just because a kid's a different color you don't treat them different and um you know i hired an amazing assistant coach from brian critchlow who same thing we just we hit it off and we learned how to talk really honest with each other and um it was those experiences and those relationships and making relationships transformational versus transactional you have to be honest and I don't think I recognized that right away as a young coach because I wanted to win. It was all about winning for me, or, you know. Originally, it was you're going to do this my way or the highway. Get off my team. And actually, I never kicked kids off my team. That's something I wouldn't do because I knew how much basketball meant to them, and I knew if they weren't playing basketball, they'd probably be in jail. Um, but not understanding what I was doing was transformational. And really listening to other coaches and talking to people about how you can transform a young person's life by loving them and getting them involved with things and being. Constant in their life. It's it's not conditional. It's unconditional, um, and so I, I recognized that it wasn't overnight. Um, and I had to I had to fail a lot of times in order to figure that out and have a lot of kids get pissed off at me and cuss me out and do some other things for me to recognize. Okay, I got to make some changes, but know that I could turn around and cuss them out and they'd be okay too. So you know, it was when you get a transformational relationship, then everyone knows that you're in it for the right reasons. And it took some time. Um, I think maturity, experience, people in your life, listening, knowing you don't know everything, all of those things help as you grow. Um, I've always felt like I've been a pretty decent communicator, but really working on communication has been huge, and you have to have honesty with communication. So um, just saying to myself, one, I didn't want to be the coach that I played for. Uh, He was not a good coach. He was not a nice guy. He was not what a coach should be or allowed to be around people, Um, not wanting to be that coach. and. Making sure, not necessarily knowing what to do, but knowing more of what not to do.
0: Okay, I'll move ahead a little bit in your ten, uh, coaching career, and you then latched on with USC and the Sparks. Like we said, was that was that a, a concurrent uh, situation you had, or was there there was one year in between?
1: Yeah, it was one year in between. So I remember sitting at my desk at Mount SAC, and this two one three number popped up on my phone, and of course I pick it up because I'm thinking maybe it's a kid, right? Or a you know, high school coach saying, you know, coach, we got a kid for you. I pick up and is this Laura Beeman? And I'm like, yeah, and Michael Cooper. And I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. Who is this? You know, uh, no, this is Michael Cooper. And then I started listening to his voice and I was like, oh my gosh, I think this is Michael Cooper. And uh, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, what do you mean? What am I doing tomorrow? And he goes, I want to interview. We have a position open. And I'm like, I'll, I'll be in your office tomorrow. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I drove down and, and met him. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think I met him. Might've been in the Toyota center. Or at Penny Toller's office, right by the Forum—I mean, the Staples Center—went um, in and interviewed, and he hired me on the spot. And I was like, "What just happened in my life?" So Mount Sac was uh, gracious enough to condense my teaching load so that I was able to do Sparks and still get in my teaching load, so I could stay as a full-time teacher because I didn't know if I wanted to leave. Hmm. So condensed my teaching load, still took care of my team. And then went with the Sparks and that year it was the uh, Olympics. And so the WNBA schedule was condensed also. So everything just kind of worked out perfectly. Did that for a year. Knew I didn't want to go pro, um, at least not in that set- setting. It just wasn't for me. So went back to, to Mount Sac the end of the next year. Same, you know, 2 and 3 and it's Coop, And he's saying, hey, I got a position open. Do you want to come in and be my associate head coach? I was like, well, we got to talk about this one because I got a pretty sweet deal here at Mount Sac. Um, you know, kind of on the... A pipeline to maybe be an administrator one day. Six weeks off of the summer, made a good living. I'm not going to get fired for losing. Um, went into USC and basically he just gave me a deal I couldn't pass up, and uh, was there for two years. And then things just went a little south, and, and knew Coop was probably not going to get retained the following year. Um, and that's when the Hawaii position opened. And actually, it was Carla that made me put my application in. I wasn't even going to apply, and she made me put my application in. She said, "Why not?" I think I just barely beat the deadline. Um, and then rem- remember receiving a phone call from Paula, Anish uh, out of HR, like at 7 o'clock California time, saying, we want to fly you to Hawaii tomorrow morning for an interview, can you? And I was like, what is going on? And I jumped on a plane the next morning. And I think I interviewed at like 7 or 8 o'clock Hawaii time, so it was 11 o'clock California time, and then went back to my hotel and Jim Donovan called me um, on the spot pretty much. And I was like, what is this? whoa what you know i felt like i was in a tornado and just said i need to talk to some people in my life before i make this decision uh give me about 72 hours and flew home and talked to my parents talked to carla talked to some other people and unfortunately for the state of hawaii i said yes
0: Fortunately for you too, probably. In a lot of
1: I said unfortunately for the beautiful. Yeah, I said unfortunately. <laughs> yes, unfortunately yes. I said yes. <laughs> but and, no, and fortunately for me. Unfortunately yeah. for you all, but fortunately for me. <laughs> right, right.
0: Um, <laughs> that stint in the WNBA. Out of curiosity, is it does the league of what you remember it right in that in that time that one season how different do you think it is from, from what the league is now and and where the WNBA is?
1: I think the WNBA, WNBA is in a great place. Um, You know, when I was there, it was still iffy. If it was going to survive, you didn't have the level of talent. You know, each team might've had one or two people, um, you know, uh, one or two players on the team that really were the crowd draw. Now you've got rosters that have five, six, seven or eight young, you know, young ladies that are just really playing and, People want to come in and watch and play. It's comp- It's great competition. Um, it's played at a high level. Uh, so I think the WNBA is in a much different place. That, and that's removing the pandemic, right? That's that's yeah. changed a mm-hmm. lot of how operations are going to work and a lot of different sports um, affiliates. But um, prior to the pandemic, I think the WNBA was in a really, really nice place.
0: Coach, I'll, I'll close by asking you about this season ahead. Do you think there will be a normal, quote-unquote, season? Will, like, if you know, fans can can show up? Is there maybe a chance you guys will play without fans?
1: You know, I don't know. Um, I, I hate to guess. Um, because sometimes if you say something as a coach, people are like, Oh, I heard this is what's going to happen. So, you know, I don't know. Um, the bottom line for me is I want it to be done in a way that you relieve as much anxiety and stress as possible, whether that's for just the players or the staff or families that players are coming home to, um, we have to relieve some of the stress and anxiety that's going on surrounding this whole pandemic and how it's contracted. Um, I think the worst thing in the world would be to think that you brought home some type of disease and virus to a family member and they got sick. That would be terrible. The financial implications of this whole thing. Um, we know that football you know, drives the engine. We've got to get football up and running and it's got to be done in a way that institutions don't lose more money, but they can make some money again, in a way that everyone is safe and healthy. Um, I think that there's gonna be change regardless in shortening championship tournaments, um, you know, making them smaller. Um, it may be that seasons have to be small, you know, cut short. Um, we may not have some, some sports seasons because it's just still too much unknown. I think Hawaii poses a huge problem to everybody because of our travel. Um, you know, if, if you're talking about interstate travel only, what does that look like? If we're still in a quarantine, how do you do that? So I think there are some things that decisions have to be made uh, way above my pay scale before I even have an idea of what it's going to look like. I think that the state of why President Lasner, David, Lois, uh, other administrators are doing a great job of taking a deep breath and not making any crazy decisions. And they're keeping in mind the health of our community. And I, and I commend them for that because I don't know if every state in the. And on the mainland is doing that. I think money is driving a lot of people's decisions making. And I think that that's really scary. So I am very appreciative that I live in a state where yes, money has to be considered because of economy and people are losing jobs. And there's, there's some, some scariness to that. Uh, But I don't think all of the decisions are based on money. And I appreciate where that, those decisions are coming from.
0: Well, let's say everything proceeds ideally as normal. You get to have a, you know, start to finish a November to, to March women's basketball season. You've got Amy Atwell coming back for, for her fifth year, senior year. Nene Calhoun, who started at the point for you this entire last mm-hmm. year. Uh, a couple of players who got some other time, like Casey Newbert. Um, I think Olivia Davies maybe you have coming off uh, uh, what was looked like a pretty devastating injury. So how do you feel about that group? And then combining them with this big influx you got coming in.
1: Yeah. You know, we also have Jaden Alexander coming back, yeah, that, you sure. know, was mm-hmm. defensive player of the year. And like you mentioned, May, Um, Olivia Davies is going to be a huge addition. You know, we missed that young lady this year, what she brings with her IQ and just her ability to get to the basket. And she just got a competitive attitude. So she's going to be just fantastic. Uh, and she's been sitting and watching how our, our system works for a year. And so it's not like it's going to be new because she's been off the court, but it's not going to be new because she's been watching. Um you know, the one thing, and, and I guess this is why my mom has always said I've been wired differently, change doesn't bother me when it comes to rosters. It's a part of the game. Um, you know, knock on wood, we don't have any more kids decide not to come back. You know, they've been at home for two and a half months now, and they have a car, they have more money, they've got things that moms, mom and dads are doing for them they don't have here. So I'm hoping that we don't have more change. Um, if we do, we're going to deal with it. The The incoming kids that we have coming in, they have a chip on their shoulder to finish what this team started. And they know that we were in a great place and probably going to go to the NC2As. And these, this team is hungry. They have been completely receptive to different types of Zooms and team building things that we've been doing. So are we going to be a different looking team in certain ways? Absolutely. Do Is preseason probably going to be a struggle for us while we get to know each other and deal with things? Absolutely. But when it comes time to win, we're going to be in the mix. That's just where we always are. Uh, Continuity of the coaching staff will help that the leadership we're bringing back, you know, from last year's team. Um, I think you got some, some young ladies in this program that are a little bit ticked off at some things that have occurred in the last three months. And so maybe they have a little bit to prove. Um, And then we've got a great incoming group of kids. So different. Yes. Not scary. Um, I'm excited about the challenge and we're just going to tackle it hard like we always do.
0: And last question, coach. Scheduling wise, has that been impacted by all of this? The, the, the willingness of teams to either come out to you or, or vice versa, is, has that been? Uh, I guess the landscape shifting under your feet as you try to put that together, at all.
1: Scheduling always is always challenging. Um, you know, because unless we get some powerhouse teams coming out here for free, then we're having to put money down. Uh, so our preseason is going to look very different. Uh, I don't know how many times, if at all, we're going to be allowed to go off Island because the money involved with that, hopefully we can get off Island right before Christmas so we can get kids home. That's always my push. Um, as far as bringing teams in, we have a couple, uh, powerhouse teams coming in that don't need money. And so they have not backed out on us. We had a couple teams back out on us because of just the financial landscape of their institution. So I don't know yet. Um, I don't know if there's been any part of the program that has been untouched by COVID-19. So there's challenges to everything from the dorms to COA money, to scheduling, to how we're recruiting kids that are leaving. I just don't, I don't think there's been a part of my program that hasn't been touched. And all I can say to that is uh, hopefully we come out of it bigger, faster, stronger. I think we will. That's how we're approaching it. Um, These kids are going to learn how to live, where life isn't always easy and if you can navigate the hard then the easy is really really fun and that's what we're all learning to do right now
0: all right well coach laura Beeman, thanks so much for making some time on the court sense podcast and giving a, a candid conversation into what these challenges have been like for you
1: i appreciate you having me on and and i just i miss all the fans and uh can't wait to get back into a situation where it's not you know six feet of distancing and and not being able to see people and and being able to maybe not hug for a while, but elbow tap or something. I don't know. Um, But it'll be nice to be back out and and see people and just see these kids smile because they really miss our fans and the support that we've been given and we know what we do for the community. So I'm looking forward to that, but thanks for having me on today, Brian. I really appreciate it.
0: That was fun. Take care.
1: Take care. You too. Thanks.